welcome to the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauley, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoy this study. All right, well, welcome back, everybody, to the Bible Study Podcast. Wes? Welcome. Or No, I shouldn't be welcoming you. You're welcoming well, me. Thank you for welcoming me. You're welcome me. to the studio. We're all, all are welcome here. This is your office, so you, you really are literally welcoming me into your office. So. I'm happy to have you here. Nice. Well, thank you for hosting us. And we have a guest today. We do. Mr. Caleb Kirkwood. Hello. Happy to be here. Is this your happy first time? You or did you do a podcast with... I... Um, I was uh, doing, I was in Travis's seat yes. uh, for an interview that you did with, I don't remember his name. Okay, okay. And I just stayed there in the background completely silent. I and I only you. showed up at the very end of the raw recording. Okay. Uh, going, uh, that was about an hour, guys. All yeah. right, good. Nice. I'll, I'll go edit that down to size. <laughs> so you were, you edited yourself out of it. I forgot that you did that. So Caleb was the... Um, preaching intern here at McDermott Road uh, for a summer, and yeah. and he did all kinds of things with me, and uh, I couldn't remember if you were ever on the podcast, but now you get to be on the podcast, yay, or have <laughs> to be. I don't know, get to be. I, I think, I, from my perspective, it's get to be. Yeah, I think it's get to be. Um, <laughs> I'm excited to have you on, yeah. have, Caleb. Have to be. If you blink once, if if you have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I didn't twist his arm, I don't think. <laughs> uh, I did kind of put him on the spot because I just asked him yesterday. So it was kind of, I sprung it on him. But uh, just to kind of give everybody an introduction to Caleb, Caleb is a student at Harding... Harding School of Theology. Um, the uh, The campus is out in Memphis, Tennessee, where the Harding's main campus is in Searcy, Arkansas. Um, I'm getting my master's in divinity um, through HST. Um my undergrad came from Lubbock Christian University, and <laughs> that's right. I was thinking you went to Harding, but I forgot you went to to yep. Lubbock. Okay, yeah. Yep. Uh, I was the odd man out, so to speak, of most everyone uh, at McDermott. Usually go to either OC or Harding. Yeah, there's only like one or two each year that go to LCU. I was one of the one or two, gotcha. one or two that in my graduating year. Caleb likes to take the unique path. I like <laughs> it. That's one reason I like Caleb. He takes the unique path. Well, we are excited to have you, Caleb. I'm yeah. I'm excited to to hear the thoughts that you're going to bring to the questions that have been sent in for us. It's been a while since we did we do a question last week, maybe? Yeah, we did. Well, actually, and thankfully, the the person who submitted the question to me that we talked about either last time or the time before that, uh, she she messaged me on Twitter and the the mystery was solved because it was a Twitter question. That's why I couldn't find ah, it. And okay. so she, she said, that was me. And so she, uh, she revealed herself and I apologized for forgetting who she was. But uh, I was glad that we could talk about her question. And we've got a couple more questions that have been submitted that we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks. This Today, we're going to talk about the question of the unforgivable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, uh, which, as Travis said a few minutes ago, is a great way to start your day. Uh, so <laughs> if you're listening to this in the morning, this is what we're going to talk about. I do think that there's going to be some practical application to this, and I think I think where we're headed with this conversation will be positive. And I think that we've—I think as I thought through it, there's, there's some positive things 
And when I say positive, I don't necessarily mean like warm and fuzzy, but <laughs> I think that there's some good warnings here that we can we can watch out for. So here's the question. It is from a friend of mine, John Shipley, who's a great guy. And a shout out to John. And thanks for this question. And thanks for being such a, a great brother in Christ. He says, hi, Wes. Loving the Bible study podcast as I travel a great deal for work. I enjoy listening to thoughts, conversations on the word. I'd like to throw in a question for the podcast, if I may, or I guess more of a topic to cover. In an adult discussion, discussion class recently, we came upon the, quote, unforgivable sin, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It was a unique moment to have a class so full of discussion become so quiet. I'd love to hear you talk it through for us. Thanks, brother, for your continued work for the Lord and for the family. So thank you, John, for that question. And I I hope that we don't experience the same quiet in this room as we bring up that question. Uh, but uh, I, I do think it—I could see how it would lead to a quiet room, because I have heard—number one, I've heard a lot of different opinions on this idea of the unforgivable sin. I've heard people say, well, it's suicide, or it's uh, murder, or you know, all kinds of things that don't fit the context that I wonder, where did that come from? Why, why do people throw that in there? And I've also heard a lot of fear, people that are afraid that maybe before they became a Christian, they might have accidentally committed this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that they might have blasphemed the Spirit and and therefore are unforgivable. And so I've, I've, I've known people that have struggled with this, mm-hmm. uh, wondering if they've been guilty of an unforgivable sin or the unforgivable sin, and have, you know, seriously feared for their salvation. And so I think that this will be a good a good thing for us to talk through and talk about the context and, and work through it. So any thoughts from either Travis or Caleb before we jump into the text about this? Um, oh, goodness, yeah. <laughs> I think for the most part, I've uh, gotten the same kind of feedback that you got, Wes, about the quote-unquote unforgivable sin, is that uh, usually I get this kind of conversation of, uh, have I done this Right. in some form or fashion, even in saying the hypothetical question, have I blasphemed the Holy Spirit, um, in saying, and then insert some kind of hypothetical statement, Yeah. Um, have I just committed the said unforgivable sins. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, it's and, and really a lot, maybe maybe some people worry about profanity. Maybe they have used profanity, maybe they've said I won't even say the initials, but you know, maybe they've said something right. that was profane and maybe it was before they became a Christian or maybe it was, you know, when they were younger and they were struggling and they kind of fell away for a little while or whatever the case may be and they think back to the way they used to talk and some of the things that they might have said that have been profane or blasphemous and wondered is God going to forgive me for those things that I said. Yeah, I think I think as we've started talking about it I th- I always think about this subject like there's a lot to unpack. At first because I think the spirit part really freaks us out yeah. because we already have a, you know, a very rough understanding a good of point. the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So then you add blasphemy into that, right. which we also don't have probably <laughs> right. a great yeah. understanding of, right. certainly in a modern context. And I think that I think that freaks us out. I remember in high school asking a Bible class teacher. Um, you know, we got into a discussion about it, and I, I remember he said something that was very comforting. It was sort of the, st- for me, it felt like, okay, this is a good start on this topic for me. And he, he said, kind of to the point about accident, so worrying about accidentally doing that. Yes, he was yeah. like, if 
you're worried about accidentally doing it, chances are you probably have it yeah, yeah. because well you're worried about it there's yeah. see there there's and i'm sure we'll get into this but there's almost a, an implicit intention yeah <laughs> involved yeah. in this. i would agree with that yeah I mean, right. that, that was like a comforting thing to get me started yeah but man i'm looking forward to that's a great point that. and i, I want to kind of hold on to that because i've often said things that are very similar to that and and i think that there's a lot of truth to that because I, I do think that this is something that is a unique hardness of heart. Mm. Uh, and that's a, a phrase, hardness of heart, that I've, that's been on my heart for the last little bit. And, and it, so that's something I want to talk about. So I think it's unique, but I also think it's something we need to be aware of, be warned of. And so I, let, let's kind of keep that in the back of our mind. Can you accidentally do it? Because I, I think that that's an interesting question. I don't know that I have an answer to it, but I, I do. And I agree that, that I, I think that people that are concerned that they've done it and that have a sensitivity to it, they're the least likely to fall into this condemnation because they have a sensitivity to right. it. And it's the people that don't have a sensitivity to it that uh, should be most concerned, but ironically are not. So let's look at the text. Matthew 12, we'll look at Matthew's version of this account. Matthew 12, starting in verse 22, just to kind of get some context. It says, then a demon, a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw and all the people were amazed and said, can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Okay, so I think we have to stop right there and and recognize this is the context. This is what's going on, and and what Jesus is doing. He's doing, we believe, based on truth, based on what we're reading in the scripture, and based on the fact that we're disciples of Jesus. That what he's doing, he's doing by the power of the Spirit. And some people saw what Jesus was doing and recognized him for who he was and said, this must be the son of David, this must be the Messiah, this must be the Christ. And they recognized the work and the power of the Spirit. And I like the way that the ESV reads. Are you reading from the ESV? I am, yes. And so, of course, the only, only right choice. No, just <laughs> I, I am too. Oh, good, good. I'm glad we're all on the same page here. But I, I like the way the ESV says, it is only by Beelzebul. So it's, it's this very dismissive way of saying, no, he's not the Messiah. This must be the work of Satan. This must be the work of the prince of demons that he's casting out the demons. So they saw the work of the spirit and it wasn't that they denied it. It wasn't, they, they weren't saying, oh, it must be a, a trick of the eyes that he didn't really, it was all set up. You know, they didn't say any of that. They ascribed what Jesus was doing to Satan. They, they took something that was good, the work of the spirit, and the, the, the manifestation of the Spirit's work. And they ascribe that work not to some other good or even to trickery, but they ascribed it to Satan. Uh, so I, I think just recognizing that context is really important going into this discussion. Um, something that I kind of noticed when I did a little bit of preliminary study last night was that um, we'll get into this a little bit with the uh, differences between uh, blasphemies against the Son and the Spirit. Yeah. Um, between the two persons of the Trinity, uh, they knew the Holy Spirit. He was uh, mentioned all the way back in Genesis 1 with the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. Yeah. We've, uh, the, the Jews, the, the Israelites, have seen uh, the Holy Spirit uh, move uh, 
throughout the entire Torah right. of going upon the prophets, uh, speaking through the prophets, and coming upon kings and judges. Yeah. So they know who the Spirit is and what's his deal yeah. and how he operates. Yeah. And this seems to and uh, releasing a, a blind mute man from a uh, a man by a, releasing a man by a blind and mute demon, if I can say that correctly, um, is in line with the character of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So. Yeah. That's a great. That's a, that's a terrific point. That's exactly right. And and he's he's bringing healing. He's bringing restoration. He's doing what the spirit does. That's what the spirit does. He recreates. He restores. He renews. He brings this these good things. And ironically, and what's interesting, and it just now st- stuck out to me as we were reading it this in this moment, is that here's a man who's demon oppressed, and and it makes him blind. And the irony is that his blindness is healed and the Pharisees continue to be blind. That's that's the biggest problem that they have is that they have eyes to see, but they don't see. They have ears to hear, but they don't hear. And really, they are, in a very different sense, demon-possessed. They are in enslaved to to Satan. Okay, so let's let's keep reading verse 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself. So this is Jesus talking. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. So Jesus kind of hypothetically says, okay, so if that's what's going on here, and Satan is casting out Satan, demonic forces are casting out demonic forces, then Satan is working against himself, and that doesn't that doesn't work. A kingdom can't work that way. And so he's showing the absurdity of their accusation by saying that Satan wouldn't be at war with his own kingdom. Because obviously, as you pointed out, Caleb, that he what's going on here is Satan's work is being demolished. When someone who is blind can now see, when someone who is mute can now speak, Satan's work is being taken away. It's being broken down. And right. so that's obviously what's happening. And they didn't even deny that. They didn't deny that a demon had been cast out of this man. What they deny is the power behind it. And because they wouldn't, they weren't willing to ascribe it to the spirit, they were willing to ascribe it to Satan. Right. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was what I was trying to get at at the beginning. But I just lost my train of thought. My bad. No, but I, I think you're exactly <laughs> right. I, I mean, there's no excuse there's no excuse for these religious leaders to not recognize the Spirit for who he is and what he does. Mm-hmm. And you brought up an interesting point earlier, Travis, about how we have become very uncomfortable with the talking about the Spirit. Mm-hmm. We've be- become very uncomfortable with the idea of the Spirit. And so that's another reason why we struggle with passages like this, yeah. because we don't like to talk about the Spirit or think about the Spirit. But I think that understanding that the Spirit's work, although it's different at different times, and that that's a part of it that I think that makes us struggle or contributes to our struggle with the Spirit's work, but I don't think it should, because Paul is very 
very explicit about the fact that the Spirit works differently in different people at different times. And so just because he worked through the prophets in a certain way, or like you pointed out, Caleb, the judges or the kings in a certain way, or the apostles in a certain way, or Jesus in a certain way, doesn't mean that the Spirit will continue to manifest himself in those ways. Uh, I think we are given exactly how the Spirit manifests himself Paul, Galatians 5, in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is the ongoing manifestation and fruit work of the Spirit. But I think that if we defined if we defined the Spirit's work as something like what God is doing in the world to bring about goodness, to bring about healing, to bring about restoration, to bring about all the things that God wants to bring about, that he is invisibly, and I think that's part of like the wind, because spirit and wind are similar both in Hebrew and in Greek, and just like the wind is invisible, but you can see its work. That's the way the spirit works, Mm. and we can see what he is doing, we can see what the Spirit is doing, not because we see the Spirit, but because we see the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, the manifestation of the Spirit. And I think you're exactly right, Caleb, that this should have been obvious to the religious leaders because of their familiarity with the Torah, because of their familiarity with the prophets, because of their familiarity with the writings, because of everything that they knew about God and his spirit and the way that he works in and through his spirit in the world, it should have been obvious what was going on here. And the fact that they couldn't see the spirit's work for what it was uh, shows their spiritual blindness. Yeah, I mean, I would, <clears throat> I would probably just correct the verbiage just a little bit by saying they, uh, instead of saying they couldn't mm. uh, see uh, the spirits work yeah. for what it is, they wouldn't, would not yeah. refuse to yeah. uh, see this the Holy Spirit's work for what it is. Yeah, because it's this. Whenever I hear stuff like this, it kind of reminds me of like the Pharaoh in Egypt of. Yeah. Uh, he hardened his heart and would not break, would not yield yeah. to a very obvious act of God yeah. times nine plagues. Yeah. And only on the 10th did he go, okay, fine, yeah. I'll let you go, only to refuse again. And yeah. we kind of see that kind of uh, hardness of absolutely under no circumstances refusing to listen to what God's yeah. very obvious work is. Yeah. Well, and I think that's an interesting point. We could probably spend a whole episode talking about that because I think it's both. I think I think you're exactly right, and I think you're great. I think that's a great point in bringing that up. I think it's it's both a decision that we make and a condition in which we find ourselves. And I think that because of our stubbornness, we can, as the Hebrew writer puts it, we can be deceived by sin and and fall into this hardness of heart. So it becomes a condition that we find ourselves in, not because God put us in that that condition or because someone else put us in that condition, but because we put ourselves we put ourselves in that condition. So I think the Pharisees here find themselves in a situation where they wouldn't and they couldn't because of the the condition of their heart. And I think that I, I think as we go to the end, I think that's where we're going to find ourselves is that they were in a spiritual condition of blindness because, as you said, they made a choice not to see. Even though they had eyes to see, they wouldn't see. They, and, and because of their refusal to see, they found themselves in a condition in which they 
couldn't see. And so I, I think it's both. And I think sometimes that's that's our struggle. And I love that you brought up Pharaoh, you know, when when the scripture says that God hardened his heart or that he hardened his own heart or that he had a hard heart. I mean, it's all the same thing and it all contributes to one another. And I think we have to we have to guard against this tendency that we might have to fall into through a refusal to see, through a refusal to listen. We have to be careful that we don't fall into a condition where we can't. Because here were people, these religious people that Jesus dealt with all throughout his ministry. I mean, if you had asked them, will you listen to the Spirit? Will you pay attention to the Spirit? Will you? I mean, consciously, they would have said, "Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, I'll yeah, absolutely. I'll do whatever God wants me to do. I'm I'm open to his will." But they weren't. You know, they they the manifestation of it was that they weren't. And so they became like Jesus' parables. They became like the soil that was that was hard. And so, yeah, I I think that's a great distinction to bring up both the couldn't and the wouldn't. Interesting. I apologize for the interruption, but if you're enjoying this Bible study, you might also enjoy the audio version of my book, Beyond the Verse. If you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can get the book for free with a 30-day free trial of Audible. Just visit radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now, back to the Bible study. Yeah, one thing I keep thinking about as we keep reading this passage is that, like, this is a, this is a reverence issue. And in the sense that, to Jesus' point, he says, a house divided against itself can't stand. Why would Satan be driving out Satan? That, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. It makes a lot more sense that Satan is, he's attacking you. He's attacking, he's attacking something good in you. And I think, you know, we're talking about the religious leaders at that time. I think they had fallen into the same trap that is easy for us today as Christians to fall into as well. And that is... They're serving the Lord, yeah. But or they think they're, they are. or they think yeah. they are, because their picture of that of, of what it is to serve the Lord has been reduced into, you know, what, I mean, what is Jesus always, you know, fighting with them about? It's you know, the minute details in the rules about the Sabbath that they had come up with, and I remember hearing a preacher talk one time about how. That pro- over the years, that probably started as reverence, you know, when they kept adding to their rules. It started as, well, we, we, we don't want to break this rule so bad that we're going to build a fence around it. Mm-hmm. And then the next generation, same so- sort of reverence. We don't want to break this rule so bad. We're going to build a fence around the fence. And then by the time you get to Jesus's time, they had all these rules that they didn't even know what they were about. Yeah. You know, it was just, it was blind following. And I think in the case of seeing, looking for the spirit, looking for the spirit's work in the world and yourself, what is called on you, um, by the spirit to do, um, that takes some imagination. It takes, it takes some perspective and that takes, I think some humility mm-hmm. to, to, to first accept, maybe I don't have all the right answers. Maybe I don't even know how to serve God. And that, I, that's, it seems like kind of a counterintuitive thing to do when you've been serving the Lord for all, for so many years. But I think again, like that's, that's where I see this as a humility issue as, you know, not being open to the spirit. Like we keep saying, we come back to this issue of being the hardness of heart. Mm -hmm. It's like that. 
I think that happens when I feel like I've got all the answers, yeah. you know? Well, I think that's, I, that's a tremendous word. I think that goes back to what Caleb was talking about in that humility is so important here that when we lack humility, when we think we've got it all figured out, when we think we've arrived, then we put ourselves, and that's a decision that we make. We make a decision whether or not to be humble, but it's not a conscious decision. It's not a decision that we make and we even realize that we're making it. I always say that as a preacher, preaching on humility is the hardest subject in the world because everyone who needs it thinks they already have it. Hmm. Nobody in the world, <laughs> you know, nobody, nobody the, the people that come out after a sermon on humility and say, wow, Wes, I really needed that they're probably the people that didn't actually need it, right? I mean, they're probably the people that were already humble. And so when you preach about humility, they think, yeah, I could use a little bit more humility. But the people that are actually arrogant and proud, they think, I don't need that. I am. I am." And I often joke, you know, yeah, when it comes to humility, I'm the best, you know, or, or, <laughs> or I, I, I once was given a, a medal for being humble, but I got it taken away because I wore it all the time. You know, we, we have this tendency to think when you bring up humility— Arrogant people think, I, I am humble. And so humility is the hardest subject on which to preach because everyone who needs it thinks they already have it. And here you have a group of religious people. So, it, I mean, we tend to hear Pharisee and we think bad guys. But in Jesus' day, when you said Pharisee, they thought the most religious. These are the most humble, the most pious, the, the, the people that put God above everything else and they would rather do God's will than they would eat food or drink water. They, they love God more than anybody else. But when God actually shows up and the Spirit begins to move and people start being healed and things start to change, they look and they say, that's Satan because it doesn't fit our right. our box. It doesn't fit our model. It doesn't fit our framework. And they were lacking humility. So even though there is an element of choice that goes into it, it, it ends up being a condition in which people find themselves in, in this position of arrogance. And, and that's a dangerous place. And that's why Hebrews is all about that danger of being lured into this hardness of heart, because when you're in that condition, you don't know you're in that condition and you cannot receive the truth. You cannot see the truth. You cannot hear the truth because, and again, uh, and I appreciate the, the, the nuance that Caleb brought to that because you don't want to, it's not that it's not my fault because it is their fault. It's their fault for allowing themselves to be the kind of people that are in a spiritual condition where they can't see the Spirit's work that's right in front of them. They're so blind. So one thing I've never thought about when reading this passage, but why is Jesus bringing this up? Is he bringing it up because, like, what do you think? Like, is he bringing it up because it, in so in calling what he was doing, the work of Beelzebub, they were blaspheming against the Holy Spirit? Or is this just a teachable moment? Yeah, that's a great point because he it says that he knew what was in their heart. He knew right. he knew I, I know what you're thinking. Right. I know I know what you're thinking here. And I think I think for two for multiple reasons. I always like to when we read gospel accounts, I always like to remember that there are two audiences. We always talk about who's the primary audience. Well, there's two. Mm. 
Because on the one hand, it's Jesus's primary audience, the people to whom he's speaking, right. and that's important, you know, about that context. But there's also the context of Matthew's audience. And so I think we also have to keep in mind that Matthew is writing this decades later, and right. he's sharing this story with his audience for a particular reason. So I think, yes, Jesus is chastising and admonishing the people of his generation, saying, watch out, because you're going to miss the kingdom. You're going to miss out on forgiveness. You're going to miss out on the Spirit. But Matthew is also warning his primarily Jewish audience don't be like this. Don't mm. be the kind of people that cannot see what the Spirit of God is doing through Jesus and his apostles. Yeah. And it, and since the primary audience that Matthew had were um, Jewish, primarily Jewish Christians, right. mm. they had the Torah just as much as the, uh, as the Pharisees. So at, at the very least, the Torah, the first five books, yeah. the others could be hit or miss on some sure. of them. Sure. Um, they would have known who the Holy Spirit was right. and what he was about. And supposedly, as a, or <laughs> if you're a Christian, then you have the Holy Spirit within you, then they should know by what Jesus did on the cross of, of the salvific work, they should know how the Holy Spirit operates or should operate as a Christian mm -hmm. in your life. Mm. So it was also that, like you were saying, Wes, that double hit of not just the Pharisees, but y'all, the people who are reading this, right. um, you need to be careful of this. Right, yeah, great point, great point. So let's, let's finish the text here and, and look at what else he says. He says in verse 28, But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And I really like thinking about this in light of what Jesus says to Nicodemus in the book of John. And Nicodemus it, and, and Jesus is saying very similar things there and says, unless you're born again by the Spirit, you cannot see or enter into the kingdom. And that's exactly why these Pharisees were missing the kingdom, because they weren't allowing themselves to, to have their eyes opened by the Spirit. And because their eyes were closed, they could not see the work of the Spirit that was right there in front of them. If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Things are changing. The kingdom of God is here. It's come upon you. It's a current, present reality, but you can't see it because uh, it's by the Spirit and you're denying the Spirit's work. Or how could someone enter a strongman's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strongman? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And this is an interesting way Jesus puts it here. There's other times where Jesus says, if they're not against me, then you know, then leave them alone. But but here he's saying there's no middle ground, right? If you're if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, then you're scattering. Any thoughts on that? Ooh, I did not actually pay attention to this part when I was looking at my study, so I'm I have no well, I, I mean I and I don't want to spend a whole lot of time there, but I think I think that this really goes to what he's going to say a little bit in that there there is no middle ground here. You either mm. see what the Spirit is doing or you don't. You're either with me and and you recognize that this is this is the moment of the kingdom and and you recognize that and you get with it or you ascribe to 
And that's what's so ironic and, and horrible about what's happening here is these religious people, as we've said, that should have recognized the Spirit's work and Spirit's power, they should have been with him. They should have said, that's the Messiah. Yes, everyone, that is the Son of David. That is the Messiah. That is the Christ. This is the work of the Spirit. The kingdom of God is at hand. Let's join with him and let's be the people God has called us to be. But instead, they said, no, this is the work of, of the devil. And they ascribe the Spirit's work to Satan. And he says, this isn't just a matter of opinion. It's not like, well, there's there's multiple sides to this. There's some things that have multiple sides. There are some things that, well, that's just your view, and this is my view, and there's some things that you can kind of take a middle ground on. On this subject, there is no middle ground. It's either you, you see the work of the Spirit, and you get on board, and you become part of the kingdom, or you resist it. And so Jesus is saying, you're either with me, or you're against me and you're scattering. You're either gathering with me or you're scattering. It, it, you can't just say, well, I'm going to sit this one out. We'll, we'll see how all of this pans out. This is the moment. You either decide, are you on board or not? Yeah, I was uh, looking at the pairing between the strongman uh, uh, example and the with me yeah. uh, or scatter. Yeah. Um, if the strongman is the master of the house, let's say, yeah. um, everyone who is the servant of that house— uh, the the men servants maid servants of the strong man's house. If they if your master is uh, cut down or uh, bound in this case, then just like sheep without a shepherd, I'm out of here. If there's a wolf coming in, yeah. Mm. So in this example, so it would be make sense in this example to kind of pair them with if you're not with me, as in breaking in and binding the strong man, yeah, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, then. Yeah. You're one of the servants of said strong man. Right. And run. Yeah. Just run. Yeah. That's a that's a great point. That's exactly right. Because Satan's kingdom is being torn apart limb by limb. Jesus is the new Joshua, and he is he is leading this conquest of Satan's territory and taking it back for God. And he is releasing those that are in bondage to Satan. And and you're right. We're, we're, Jesus is at war with the the demonic forces. And if you're not on his side, if you're not if you're not in agreement and and see what's happening here, then you're on the other side, and there really is no there's no middle ground here. Yeah, I, one thing I keep thinking about is, <clears throat> you know, we associate it with the Spirit. We associate it a lot with Jesus, and you know the importance of words, the importance of speaking the truth. And I think maybe I'm, I'm starting to think maybe one point he's making here is the stressing the importance of calling things what they are yeah and you know there's probably plenty of good things about these religious leaders they probably have a lot of good intentions absolutely but calling his work the work of satan fits an agenda it fits it fits this agenda of that's not the messiah we wanted yeah and the i think the problem is that with that and i I think we you know we see this a lot in our world today We've seen it throughout human history. The my cause is good, so I'll do what. It, so it can win at all costs. And the danger of that is like, no, you can't win at all costs because mm-hmm. you'll do things that that undermine the very you know the the good morals, the good intentions, the good things behind what you're what you're doing. Yeah. And if you call things what they are, if you can look at your enemy and say he's doing good right right now. 
Like that's that makes you different than him. Mm-hmm. That makes you different than your enemy if if you can say and point out the good when you see it mm-hmm. and call it good. Mm-hmm. Call it from God. Call yeah. it from you know, if we if we believe nothing good comes from God, then when we see good things happening, there, there, I think there's definitely an importance on speaking the truth yeah. and actually shining the light on what it is, not what would be convenient for it to be. Well, I think you bring up a great point that there have been there have been so many movements throughout human history that I think we can look back on them, times of restoration, mm. times of reformation, times of renewal, times of all of these times in human history, both in American history and in, in the world history in the last 2,000 years, just since Jesus. There have been all kinds of religious movements that have called be- people back to Jesus, that have called people to repent of evil and sin in the world. And unfortunately, well, on the fortunately side, fortunately, there have been men of God and women of God who have recognized the Spirit is in this. This is good. This is Jesus. This is this is what we ought to be doing, and they've gotten behind that. But there have also been religious people that have opposed it. Every single time there's been a, a time of restoration, renewal, and, and repentance, there have been religious people that have said, no, 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 that, that's got to be from Satan because it's disrupting the status quo. And there right. have been religious people that have benefited from the status quo, they've benefited from the comfortable, and people of God have come along and said, no, this is wrong, this needs to change. And instead of getting behind it, they've condemned it as being demonic. Mm. Well, and I, and I, we're gonna. I want to get to this in a second, but if in case we don't, James three and Galatians five tell us how do you recognize if a movement is from God or not? How do you recognize if something you see in the world is from the Spirit or if it's if it's demonic? Well, again, we'll, hopefully we'll read it in a second. But this is what's happening in in this context is here is the movement from God. The uh, When I say movement, I mean like the Spirit is, is moving, like the wind is moving a flag. And you say, well, why is that flag moving? Why, is, why are these people being healed? And the obvious answer is because the Spirit of God is working, because this is the Messiah. Mm. But, but instead, because if that was true, if it was true that Jesus is the Messiah and this is the Spirit's work and the kingdom of God has come, well, then that's going to disrupt the Pharisees' whole life. Like, everything is going to be turned upside down. Our our power, our status, our our fortune, our whatever is just going to be turned on its head. And, and they were comfortable in the status quo. They were comfortable in the way the ladder was fixed in their favor. They were comfortable with all of these things. So it was easier to condemn this as the work of Satan than it was to accept it as the work of God. And therein lies their problem. And again, I love what you pointed out, Travis, therein lies the danger for us that if we are so arrogant and we are so proud and we are so lacking in humility that when the Spirit works in the world or in a person or in a sermon or in a whatever, and we are so proud that we look at that and we condemn it as the work of Satan rather than accepting it as the work of God— then we we might find ourselves in this type of condition. So I'm going to read 31 and 32, uh, and we'll kind of wrap up that, that part of the discussion. He says, Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. Caleb, I know you had something you wanted to say specifically about the difference between 
the Son of Man and the Spirit, maybe? Yeah. Um, so whenever I looked at this, I realized that uh, the Son of Man and the Spirit are both persons of the Trinity. Right. So you have God himself being blasphemed on two fronts, so to speak, right. in the Spirit and the Son. But the Son, it's no big deal. You can be forgiven. But when it comes to the Spirit, that's it. Yeah. It's very bizarre. Yeah. But something that we kind of, uh, you kind of see in uh, Jesus's ministry is that Jesus, as the Son of Man, is part of the great mystery of God of bringing humanity back into cre- uh, into right relationship into the new creation. Mm-hmm. So what you, I mean, we see again and again in the Gospels, uh, enemies and friends of Jesus not getting the point of the po- <laughs> right. of the mission of the Son of Man. Right. right. There would be nobody that would be forgiven if if blasphemy against the Son of Man couldn't be forgiven. Right. And even after the resurrection in the book of Acts, we get this climactic scene of Jesus is about to ascend to heaven and the disciples ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like uh, kill all the Romans and set Jerusalem as the king as the kingdom of the world? Yeah. No, I just spent three and a half years yeah. with you guys. Yeah. And no, yeah. is what I would say. But thankfully, I'm not Jesus because I would probably slap a lot of them. <laughs> And we see that again and again, uh, insiders and outsiders of yeah. the Christian movement not getting it. And we see it a lot in acts of uh, Gentile uh, pro-councils saying, there's this weird Jesus movement of a dead guy named Jesus, but these Christians are calling him alive. I don't get it. Can yeah. you help? Yeah. But the Holy Spirit, or at least in the context of uh, the Jewish audience, right. There's no mystery about the Holy Spirit as far as who he is, what he's about, and what his is, what is the Holy Spirit's mission yeah. in the recreation of the world. Yeah. Where the Son of Man has to be victorious and die right. simultaneously. Right. That makes very little sense. It was scandalous, yeah. Makes very little sense as far as until after it actually happens at the resurrection. Right. right. Then everything makes sense. Yeah. It's when it's so I would probably go with something along the lines of if you know that this is an act of God by any of the three persons, Father, Son, or Spirit, yeah. and condemn it as demonic magic, right. basically, of is by Beelzebul, that the prince of demons, that this fellow casts out demons. Yeah. That's where the unforgivableness is from. Yeah. Yeah. Because you refuse to see the spirit of truth doing something yeah. good yeah. and calling it a servant of Satan, mm-hmm. the enemy of God. Yeah. That's where the unforgivableness lies. Yeah. If you just don't know what's going on and say, it could be good, it could be evil, then, okay, we can fix that. Yeah. Because yeah. we have Paul, or rather Saul, yeah. uh, world-class enemy of Christianity right. <laughs> back in the day. And it was only after he saw the spirit and truth of of Christ's mission, then he was forgiven of his sins yeah. and became the Apostle Paul that we know today. Yeah. It was, that's where I was kind of... Yeah, no, I totally agree. I think you're exactly right. I think, I think that nobody could have recognized Jesus for who he was initially, except through the work of the Spirit, except through the revealing that the Spirit of Truth, and I love that you brought out the Spirit of Truth, the, the revealing that the Spirit of Truth was doing 
should have revealed who Jesus was. But by himself, as the Son of Man, I mean, you wouldn't have known who he was, and, and no one recognized him for what he was and what he was doing. But they should have recognized the work of the Spirit. And a discerning person, a discerning person recognizes the difference between good and evil. That's what it means to discern, is to be able to look at something and say, that's good or that's evil. A person who is lacking in that basic discernment is in a condition of being unforgivable. Now, whether or not that person can be restored to a spirit of discernment where they can see good and evil, I, I think that's that's for a whole other discussion. Mm. But if you are in a condition of being blind, and again, I, I like the way Caleb pointed that out, it, both the couldn't and wouldn't, but, but if you're closing your eyes to the truth, that at least in that condition, in that in that spirit, in that setting, you can't be forgiven. You cannot be forgiven in the spirit of condemning as evil the work of the spirit. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that yes, we need to be concerned about these Pharisees and where they're going to spend the age to come. But we also need to take this as a warning. And I love going back to what Travis said in the very beginning, that I don't think you can accidentally do this. Mm. I think if you're being careful, if you're being careful, if you're being aware, if you're being humble, you're not gonna you're not gonna look at the work that God is doing and say that's evil. But I also think that you have to be careful. You you have to take this as a warning. And again, James three, James says what is wisdom that comes from above? How do you know if something is earthly wisdom, something is demonic wisdom versus wisdom that's from above? He says wisdom that's from above, this is James 3 verse 17, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruit, good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace so if somebody is not peaceable, if a movement is not peaceable, if it's not pure, if it's not gentle, if it's not open to reason, if it's not full of mercy, if it's not full of good fruits, we can look at that and say, well, that's not the Spirit's work. That's not to say they're, they're wrong on everything. It's not to say that everything they're saying or everything they're trying to accomplish is wrong. But I can say that's not the Spirit that's working there. Same with what Paul says in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And he says, here's what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, love and joy and peace and patience. And he also talks in contrast about the works of the flesh, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. And and he's talking in Galatians about religious people, religious people that are very caught up in circumcision and think that circumcision is what marks a person as God's family. And and Paul is saying, no, what marks a person as God's family is faith in Jesus. And, and he, all of these passages help us to develop, develop spiritual discernment so that we don't look at good things and say, that's the work of Satan, or look at bad things and say, that's the work of God. But I think we have to, we have to recognize that if religious people like the Pharisees or religious people like the churches in Galatia Hmm. could become so hard of heart, so lacking in discernment, so blind to the truth that they could look at the work of the Spirit right in front of them and say, that's the work of Satan. 
if that could happen to them, it could happen to me. And this is the way we tell what is the work of the Spirit and what is the work of Satan is if it has this type of fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, we need to look at that and say, maybe the Spirit's doing something here. Um, when you were talking, uh, when you were talking, I kind of remembered, um, I can't remember, uh, where in the gospel of John, but it's after the, um, uh, episode of the man born blind. He goes to the Pharisees, teachers of the law, and we get his great statement of faith of sinner or not. I do not know. I once was blind, but now I see gets kicked out of the synagogue. And then we have this little episode where, uh, Jesus talks to the blind the formerly blind man, mm-hmm. and basically says, blessed are those who are blind but now see, yeah. and woe to the ones who claim to see but are blind. Um, and then the Pharisees who happened, who were probably out to lunch trying to, after uh, condemning this poor uh, formerly blind man, said rather arrogantly, what, are we blind too? And Jesus says in so many words, yeah, yes yeah. you are. <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, that episode played in my mind while you were pointing out that you're claiming to be so wise and discerning that you can tell the difference between good and evil and you see something that is fundamentally good a, a, man, a blind and mute man can now see and speak and calling it that uh, that healing was powered by the spirit of destruction you're the blind one yeah and that That's the unforgivable sin. I really hope you enjoyed this Bible study, and I hope you'll subscribe to hear future episodes of the podcast. A big thank you to Travis Pauly, as well as our McDermott Road Church family for helping to make this podcast possible. And a special thanks to all of you for listening. We love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day.